I think it's uh, possible that if we were to take a poll this morning and, and do a little uh, questionnaire and ask, how many of you believe that prayer is important? Or how many of you believe that prayer is powerful? Uh, my guess is that a lot of you, if not all of you, uh, would probably say, me. I absolutely believe those things. At the same time, I think if we were to take a poll and we were to ask the question, and how many of you, even though you believe those things, struggle to pray faithfully and to pray regularly every single day, my guess is that probably the same amount of hands would go up. Because there's something about prayer that even though we believe in it, we believe in the power that it has, we believe you know, that this is one of those things that where we can connect with our almighty God, many of us still struggle at times to pray faithfully and to pray regularly in our lives. I hate to admit, especially as a pastor, I hate to admit that, that there are moments in my life where I go through valleys where I find it just very difficult to pray. And again, I am not implying or saying that I don't believe in prayer, but there are just moments in my life where when I need, I need to kneel to pray, everything that I've ever needed to do seems to come up. I'm reminded of all the smallest details, I'm, you know, and, and, and something will distract me. I've even noticed in my own life that there are times where when I um, kneel to pray or when I focus on praying, the phone seems to ring more often than normal and, and those sort of things. Here's what I believe about prayer. I believe that Satan knows the power that's in prayer, and he will do anything and everything he can to distract us from praying. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to focus on, on this topic of prayer, and we're going to focus on how we can pray better prayers, stronger prayers, deeper prayers, more specific prayers. And in this series, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And if you don't know who he is, uh, his name used to be uh, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he was the person who actually hated the church, and he made it his mission to destroy Christianity. And so he would travel around, and he was on his way to Damascus to go and arrest more Christians. When Jesus encountered him, and when Paul had an incredible, miraculous encounter with Jesus, and from that day on, Paul became a servant of Jesus. And if you read in the New Testament, which is the latter part of the Bible, if you read in the New Testament, you're going to see in the book of Acts his, his amazing story. And what you begin to see Paul do very shortly after he's, he be, gives his life to Christ is he begins to preach and he begins to travel around as an evangelist and as a missionary and he plants churches all over that region. And one of the things that Paul also did was he would write letters to these early churches that he had planted and also to other churches. And these are called the Pauline epistles. And in these epistles, you will often read of him. Uh, he will write out the prayers that he has been praying for that church. And these two little words will often pop up in his prayer. He will, he will say a prayer, and then he will say, so that. It's as if though he's saying, here's what I'm praying for you. And here's why I'm praying that prayer. So that this and this may happen. I'm praying this and this so that this will take place. And I think that we can learn a lot from that style of praying. And so we're going to look today at, at um, how he prayed and how, how Paul prayed and, and see what can we learn from that. Because I think that we often do not pray as we should. 
I, I don't mean that to say that we don't pray often enough or that we don't pray you know, regularly enough and that we don't, you know, whatever, but I think that there are two common mistakes that we make in our prayers. One is that our prayers are too small. I think many, many times when we pray, our prayers are way too small. We pray these very, very small prayers. You know, God, would you bless this food? Would you be with us today? Would you give us safety? And, and, I, and I wonder sometimes if maybe in these small prayers, we, we do not fully tap into the potential that God has. Another mistake that we make is, the second mistake I think that we make is that we pray, our prayers are too general. We pray these very general f- prayers like, be with us and, and help us at work and, and, you know, and, and these very, very general open prayers. Craig Rochelle said this, he said, general prayers do not move God to specific actions. General prayers do not move God to specific actions. And I think all of us in this room, we would agree that God is all-powerful. So the question that we have to answer then is, why do we seem to undercut or why do we seem to downsize the size of our prayers to an almighty God? Why would we pray small prayers? Why would we pray these general, general prayers to an almighty God? Think about that for a moment. I wonder sometimes if we were to define God based on our prayers, what would our definition of God be? Let me, let me say that differently. If we would draw a picture of God based on our prayers, what would he look like? I think for some people, he would look like a very wimpy, out of date, out of touch God. Because I think very often that's the kind of prayers we pray. We pray these prayers that, that we don't need an almighty God to answer. Any thing could answer that because it's just such a general, such a small prayer. Many of you may have heard of Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther was the father of the Reformation. And Luther had a friend named Friedrich uh, Maconis. And in 1540, Maconis became very, very ill, and he expected to die. So he wrote Luther a letter of farewell, saying, you know what, I know I'm not going to live much longer. And so because Maconis assumed that his time here on earth was almost over, he wrote Luther a letter. And I want to read to you this morning the, the reply that Luther wrote to him. This was Luther's prayer um, to his friend. Check this out. Here's what he wrote. I command you, in the name of God, to live, because I still have need of you in the work of the to reform the church. The Lord will never let you never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now that is a very very um, bold. Very specific prayer. Now, here's the interesting thing. Maconis, um, who, was already, um, who had already lost his ability to, to speak um, because of his illness, completely recovered. And he lived for another six years. And here's the most interesting thing, is that he died, um, let me just make sure I get this right, he died two months after Luther died. 
What an amazing thing for for Luther to say, you know what, here's my prayer for you. I pray and I command you, you're not going to die. (laughs) Some of you are like, man, I hope I don't have friends like that, you know, because there may be a time in my life where I would just rather go. But Luther's like, you're not going to die. As a matter of fact, you're going to live longer than me. And sure enough, God answered that prayer. That's the kind of bold, very um, you know, big, uh, specific prayer that I think sometimes we have the potential to tap into, but instead we pray small, general prayers. So the first uh, passage of Scripture that we're going to look at, the first prayer that we're going to look at that, that we find Paul praying is found in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul is writing this around the year 60 A.D., Uh, And he's in a Roman prison, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And so let me read it to you, and if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to to follow along. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14. If you don't have it, uh, it should be on the screen. So here we go. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Let's stop there for a moment. I, th- I don't know if when, when we pray, if posture is, you know, really all that important. I, I know that, you know, we need to show humility, we need to show reverence, but you may find yourself at times remembering something and, and you need to pray and you're driving and at that moment you really don't have time to kneel, you don't have time to, to, to get into a certain posture because you'd better keep your eyes open while you're driving. Maybe you're out walking and, and you remember something, you're like, oh, I need to pray for this friend of mine or, or whatever the situation is. Um, at that moment, you don't necessarily, you know, you can't necessarily get into a certain posture. I don't know if posture is really all that important when we pray. But what is interesting here, though, is that Paul mentions that he kneels, that he's kneeling. And the reason it's interesting, because during this era, during the time that Paul would have written this, the the posture that Jewish men took to pray was standing up with their palms up. This would have been the posture that would have been the the, um, posture that the Jewish uh, men would have had when they prayed. And so Paul makes it very clear here that I'm kneeling down to God to pray for you. See, Paul is changing his posture. And I think it's important for us every now and then to do that as well. I think maybe, maybe you want to change your posture based on the prayer that you need to pray. I know for myself, one of the postures that I use is when I'm praying a prayer of repentance or when I'm praying a, a prayer of confession or whatever it might be, I just feel that the right thing for me to do is to kneel. There's something about this posture that when I'm praying before God and I'm praying for forgiveness or I'm praying a, a prayer of repentance... Or when I'm praying um, really diligently for something, I just find that when I pray kneeling, that that posture just seems to be the right posture for that prayer. So maybe for some of you, it's time to change your posture. Paul is saying, I'm kneeling before God to pray for you. Another thing that I do, and I'm not going to do it because I don't know if you can still hear me, but one of the other things that I've learned to do is there are times in my life where I'll do it, I just feel that the right thing to do is to lie flat on my face before God. To just lie there and to pray. And it's a way of acknowledging, it's a way of admitting that, Lord, I am completely humble. 
I am completely low and nothing. And I wonder if our posture has maybe become so familiar to us that it's beginning to affect our prayer. I wonder if our posture is so familiar to us that it's just what we do. And so we just have our posture, we fold our hands, we, we you know, sit like this, whatever it might be, and suddenly what we actually find is that our posture is predicting the way we will pray. So maybe for some of us, we need to, like Paul, we need to change up our posture. When we're praying, maybe we need to say, for this and this kind of prayer, I'm going to kneel, I'm going to lie down, I'm going to stand up, I'm, I don't know, you'll need to come up with that. But maybe there's a way that you can say, I need to change the posture of my prayer because I've maybe found myself in a place where my posture is predicting a very small general prayer because I'm just so comfortable, I'm so used to praying this way. Paul goes on in verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then you have in verse 17, you have the first so that. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. The very first thing that Paul does here is he recognizes God's glorious riches. He points to God's glorious riches. I pray that out of his glorious riches... Paul isn't praying to some God who is impoverished. God isn't, Paul isn't praying to a God who is lacking. He isn't praying to a God who is in need of anything. Out of his glorious riches, Paul is saying, I'm praying to a God who out of his glorious riches can answer our prayers. I want you to stop here for a moment. When you pray, do you recognize the glory of God? Are you aware in that moment when you're praying that you are praying to a God who is rich beyond measure, who is glorious beyond comprehension, who, who's, um, who's uh, ah, now, I love it when words just vanish. You know what I meant. Um, who, who we cannot fathom. I wonder if maybe in our prayers sometimes God again has become too familiar. He's just, he's just you know, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. As if though we just rattle off Heavenly Father, as if though he's the guy across the street. Paul is saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches, this God who is just uncomprehensible, I'm praying to that, that out of all that God is, that he would answer our prayers. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. The, Paul is praying that God would strengthen us through his power. The, the word power here is the Greek word dunami, which is the word that we get our, the, the word dynamite from, which is clearly a powerful thing. So Paul's praying that out of the, uh, this God who is gloriously rich, that he would strengthen us with his power, a power that is incredible, so that we would, you know, have the Spirit dwelling in us. Now the question is, why is, God, uh, why is Paul praying this prayer? He answers it in verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. Not so that we can be happy. Not so that we can be blessed. Not so that we can be taken care of. So he prays this prayer and he, and he, he seeks God. And he says, this is what I've been praying for you. So that... First part of verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in you. 
Isn't it true? I know it is in my life. Isn't it true that we are too often willing to tap into the power of God only for our immediate need? What if we would tap into the power of God? What if we would tap into this God who is gloriously rich, not to receive material things, not to receive these temporary things, but to say, I'm tapping into you, I'm needing you so that Christ would dwell in me, so that I would be fully made full in Christ. What if every single one of us would pray big, specific prayers to God, that he would dwell in us powerfully? He continues in verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want to just take a moment here and just kind of pull these verses apart because there's a beautiful thing that he starts off where he says, I pray that you being rooted. The first thing Paul does is he reminds the, the people that he's writing to, he says, you are not you know, unloved people. You are rooted in the love that Christ has for you. Your roots are in Jesus. Your roots are in the love that Jesus has for you. I think sometimes... We can find our roots in other things, like our possessions, our popularity, and the list could go on and on and on. But it's who we are. We are loved by Christ. We are rooted in Christ. I think that this best example for this would be, picture a child going to their parents. Okay, Why does that child have the confidence to go to their parent? That child has the confidence to go to their parent because that child knows that the parents love them. A child that does not feel loved by their parents will not have the confidence to go to the parents for their needs, nor for conversation or for other things. But because this child is confident in the love that the parents have for them, they're willing to wake those parents up sometimes at the worst of times. They're willing to inconvenience the parent. They're willing to interrupt. They're willing to do all kinds of things. They're willing to share some of their deepest sorrows and problems because they are confident in the love that their parents have for them. That's what Paul is saying here to you and I, that we are to go to God in that confidence that we are loved by him. I think sometimes some of us, our approach to God is as if though he's a stranger and, and we're fearful of him and, and we're not sure if we can come near and things like that. And, and yet we should, like, like a child who knows that the parents love them, we should come to God knowing that we are rooted in love. In verse 18, he again, he again uses the word power. This time he says he prays that we would have power. Check this out. That we would have power to do what? to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, why would you need power to understand the love of God? Why would you need power to be able to grasp how great God's love is? He, he goes on and he explains it. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Here's what you need to know about the love of God. You cannot naturally understand God's love. You cannot naturally fully understand God's love because this love surpasses knowledge. 
And maybe the reason some of us don't fully grasp the love of God is because we've never prayed for God to fully reveal his love to us. We have tried to understand it. We say, wow, you know, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Now let my brain try to figure out how much love that would have taken. He left his heavenly throne to come to earth. Now let's try to figure out, hmm, I wonder, how much love would that have taken? And Paul says, it, you cannot understand it. You cannot your knowledge will never be able to fully understand. So we need to pray that his power would reveal to us just how great God's love is for us. This is one of the reasons why you will see people who finally get it. Why you'll see them change completely. And if you're not a Christian... This is one of the reasons maybe you've seen Christians around you who, who when they gave their life to Christ and they suddenly felt the overwhelming, uh, almost unbearable love of God come over them. This is why you've seen people who were extremely insecure suddenly become you know, confident. This is why you see people who were filled with fear suddenly become bold. This is why you see people who were struggling with sin suddenly become victorious because they sensed the love of God and when they fully grasped the, the incredible love that God had for them, it changed everything. If you're trying today with your strength and with your knowledge to understand the love of God, Paul is saying here it's it surpasses knowledge. You can't do it. You need to pray that God's power would reveal to you just how great the love of God is. One of the greatest prayers that we can ever pray for our loved ones, especially our children, is we need to pray specifically, God, reveal to my child, reveal to my children. Lord, I pray that you would Give my child the strength to understand just how much they are loved. Paul continues, he said, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't this the desire of all of our lives, to be filled with the fullness of the, um, the, to be filled with the full measure of God? That we would receive all that God has for us. See, love isn't something God does. Love is who he is. Love isn't something God does. Love is who he is. So maybe, and again, just a maybe, maybe for some of you, the reason church isn't all that exciting or the reason you're not all that passionate about serving Jesus, whether it's in the church or in your workplace or at your school or in your community, is that maybe you haven't really grasped the love that he has for you. His love for you surpasses knowledge. Maybe you've come up with a definition in your mind as to how big God's love is for you. I just want to tell you right now, it's not enough. It's not big enough. Listen to the story of Charles Finney. He's an evangelist, and as a follower of Jesus, um, you know, he's already a follower of Jesus, but he had this much deeper encounter with God. And here's what he wrote. Here's a description of an encounter that he had with God. It says, the Holy Spirit descended on, upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression, like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. 
That is my prayer for all of us today. That every time we seem to kind of get a grasp for, oh, this must be how much God loves me, that there would be this new wave and we would again say, oh my goodness, no, there's even more. And then when we kind of become familiar with that, we would again receive a new wave. I think we need to be praying constantly, God, would you reveal to me over and over again the magnitude of the love of, that you have for us. Maybe we've become a little bit too familiar at times with God's love. And we've just placed it in a, in a box and we've said, oh, here's a definition. Here's, here's what makes sense to me. And maybe we haven't prayed specifically enough. Maybe we haven't prayed bold enough. Maybe we need to pray and say, God, would you reveal to me today the measure of your love for me? You see, our prayers will change how we live. And I believe that when our children fully grasp just how much they are loved by God, I believe it will change how they live. I believe it will give a young girl confidence to live a very different life that they would have if they did not understand the love that Jesus has for them. I believe it will give a young man uh, a, an approach to life that will be very different than one that they would have if they did not understand the love that God has for them. I believe it will give parents a new approach to parenting. I believe it will give all of us a new angle at how we do what we do in life when we grasp just how much God loves us. So we're gonna pray for big things. We're gonna pray, not simply God be with our children. We're gonna pray, Lord, raise my child up to be a leader for you. Raise my child to be an, an instrument that you will use. School is starting this week. So parents, we need to not just pray, God, would you keep little Johnny from doing drugs? That'd be good. But I think we can go much, much deeper than that. I pray that little Johnny would go to school confident that he is loved by you. And that when he's teased or when he's maybe, you know, threatened or when he's intimidated or when he's tempted, that at that moment, your love would just reveal itself to him and that he wouldn't need to find his identity in anything other than you because he is, in that moment, he's aware that he is rooted in Jesus' love for him. Maybe that's what some of you need today. You need to just be reminded this morning that, that you're striving for an identity and you want to belong, and you want to have a name for yourself, or you want to feel connected, and, and maybe you're trying to make a name for yourself at work, or you're, you're just whatever it might be. And, and if you could just realize this moment, no, you are rooted in the love of Jesus, and that in him you already have an identity. You already have all the things that you need, and now you just need to build on that for a whole new purpose. I invite the team to come up as we close up. I want to challenge you and invite you to join me in this week and in these months to pray big prayers, to pray specific prayers, to be bold, to recognize that, that we have a glorious God who is filled with glorious riches. Paul wraps this up this way. He says that this is the confidence in which we can approach God. Look at what he says here in verse 20. It says, now to him, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, 
According to his power, there's that word again, according to his power that is at work within us. Imagine that. The power of God, the the very power that rose Jesus from the dead, the very power when God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. That same power now working in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is the confidence with which we can approach God. So would you pray bold? Would you pray boldly this week? Would you pray with absolute boldness and just saying, God, I could just give a general description of my need, but but this is what I really need. I could give you a general description of what's going on in my life, but, but here it is specifically. God, this is exactly what's going on. Could you be bold in that way? Could you be specific? Could you be um, clear in what it is that you need? And then don't be afraid to ask for small things. Maybe you've been praying for your spouse. Maybe you've been praying for your kids. Maybe you've been praying for your finances. And you've always just sort of said, you know, God, whatever it is you want to do, you do it. But maybe you need to be very clear and say, God, I'm asking for big things because I need big things done in my life. I'm asking you to do a work in my heart. I'm asking you to do a work in my children's heart, in my husband's heart, my wife's heart. Lord, I'm asking you to redo everything. We're not asking for small things. We're asking for big things. Pray for the power of God to be revealed to you. Maybe one of the prayers that you want to pray this week and just focus on is, Lord, help me to grasp. Give me the power to grasp how much it is that you love me. And then one last thing I want to challenge you to pray on. And I think for some of us, we need to pray again for the awe of God to come back. Paul starts off almost immediately with this description of God out of his glorious riches. Maybe for some of us, that, that awe of God hasn't changed our posture in praying in a long time because we've just sort of lost our awe. We're just like, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day, and da-da-da-da-da, and we just kind of, and we're not in awe of this God. So we're going to close singing a song that I believe is very familiar to us, but standing. And one of the lines in there is about standing in awe. And I trust that this morning that you would just find yourself in awe again, and that that awe would change your approach to how you pray. I would invite you to stand as we close in prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray, come. Come and make yourself known to us. Father, I pray that these are not just simple words that we've said from the stage here, but Lord, that in our hearts right now, there's a stirring for more of you, to stand before you as your children, knowing that we are loved by you. We want to do more than just know. We want to experience it in a new, in a new, in a new every single day. So we invite you 
we invite you to reveal yourself to us over and over again. And we confess in those times when we've maybe just tried to label you and we've minimized, excuse me, we've minimized you. I just pray, God, that today we would pray with boldness because we serve an almighty God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.